Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. All right, well, we're going to get into this today, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, we're going to look at this, uh, really look at uh, the series of uh, Elijah and Elisha, but really spend most of our time on Elijah. And our series is called Extraordinary. Say Extraordinary. 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 And we're going to really just walk through this summer. And we might end it just abruptly. Who knows? I just know we're going to do as much as we can. And because the life of Elijah in the Bible is actually a very short period, we actually get the freedom to spend, I love it because we spend a little bit more time uh, swimming through and sifting through uh, the stories of Elijah. What a powerful, powerful man of God. So before I do, I also want to welcome all of our kids in the room. <laughs> They're clapping for themselves. I love it. Okay, kids, on the count of three, I want you to scream as loud as you can. Are you ready? Come on, let's put these, these old disgusting adults to shame, okay? On the count of three, let's yell as loud as we can. One, two, three. Oh, yes. Yes. Come on. Proud of you guys. Well, we're going to talk about a character in the Bible named Elijah. And Elijah was a crazy guy, and he did crazy things. And yet he was just a regular old guy, just like the regular person, just like us. And he was human. And what we're going to talk about today is the idea here today that uh, I want to give you today three big ideas, three lessons from the life of Elijah that basically will be repeated all throughout the next eight to 10 weeks as we talk about Elijah's life. They'll be repeated Every single time we talk about Elijah, these are three lessons that we can learn in our life from the story of Elijah. And there's three things we learn from his life, and I'm going to basically give you those three things today. Now, adults, obviously, there's kids in the room, so I'm trying to think about our kiddos as well and try to make sure they're with us as well and and try to stick with us as long as they can. So um, I really want to make things as simple as possible. Uh, But if kids, things get a little complicated for you, it's okay. Just color for a little while and join me again when things start to make sense, okay? But I want to give you kind of the three lessons in a sentence. Here's a sentence today, these three lessons. This is our three lessons through the life of Elijah. In one sentence, God chooses ordinary people. I I hope this is correct English, so English teachers or majors or anyone smarter than me can help me. God chooses ordinary people to prepare them, no so, to prepare them to do extraordinary things through them. God wants to choose ordinary people. God wants to prepare ordinary people. And God wants to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. What we find in this story of Elijah is there's a crazy, crazy thing happening when Elijah walked in on the scene. Let's read the very first verse. We're just going to look at the first verse today. And then the next few weeks, we're going to jump into a little bit more. But here's the first verse in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah walks into the room of a king and says, It's not going to rain for another three years because I said so. No rain. I would be okay with that right now. 
because the rain's been brutal. Amen? Let's get some sun. Lord, maybe Elijah, maybe one of you have prayed that. You need to turn it around, kids. But here we are in this story, and the context of this story is this, is that up to this point, the nation of Israel, where God's people, God's nation, had experienced 19 consecutive evil kings. 19 evil kings had been with uh, the people of Israel, and every single one of them had chosen to not serve God. And King Ahab was this new king that, that was on the scene, and King Ahab was the most wicked king that had ever sat upon the throne of Israel. The Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than any other of, of the kings before him. Now remember, Israel were God's people. The Israelites were God's chosen people. The Israelites were the ones that were supposed to follow God's commands. And yet these leaders that were leading the people of Israel were not godly. And they decided to, they knew about God. They knew about the scriptures of old. They knew that God had caused the Red Sea to be parted and miracles had been done in the wilderness. These kings knew about the living Yahweh God and had experienced the incredible things through knowing this God, yet they made a conscious decision to not serve Yahweh fully. Rather, they served the gods of other nations. And we see that this Ahab was a strong yet weak king. He was the ruler who acknowledged that God was real, yet he did not live a life that worshiped God. He was also married to a terrible person named Jezebel. Jezebel and her people were Baal worshipers, and this made God very angry when Ahab chose to marry this woman named Jezebel, who was absolutely in rejection to Yahweh God, did not love Yahweh God, and in fact worshipped the God of Baal, and she absolutely controlled uh, Ahab. Young people, let me give you a tip for great marriage. Find someone who loves Jesus. Find someone who loves Jesus. Man, find someone who loves Jesus more than you do. And they will lead you and you will lead them and you will never allow yourself to allow other things in your life outside of God. And Jezebel led Ahab away and this caused the people of God now, the Israelites, to stray away from God. They no longer followed God's commands. They no longer did what God told them to do. They no longer followed the Ten Commandments or the, the commandments of the law or God's word. And so this evil King Ahab turned the people of God away from him. And this caused them to begin to do terrible, wicked things where they would begin to uh, actually sacrifice their own children to Baal. And they would go into the temple and do all sorts of activities, sexual activities that I won't go into, of course, you know why, uh, just to worship this veil. And the people of God were beginning to give themselves to things in that culture that did not honor God. They began to allow themselves to watch things and to do things and to agree to things that the Bible taught them not to do, all because the leaders that were leading their nation said that it was okay. Leaders and the governmental leaders said, well, this is acceptable and this is law. And so the people said, okay, then it's acceptable for me, even though it went against God's word. And this is Elijah standing in this place, coming to this spot. It was a very, very dark and corrupt and scary time. It was a time when things were difficult. I don't know about you, 
But this might sound very familiar to the world we live in today. In a world where we have nations that are founded by God and or we believe that there's a biblical precedence in Canada and a biblical precedence in the U.S. and we believe that there's a biblical God and we're founded on the biblical truths, yet we look at some of the decisions that we're making in our policies and say, that doesn't reflect God's word. That's not what God said to do in his word. I thought you were a professor of God. I thought you believed in Yahweh. And they say, well, I do believe in Yahweh, but I'm more concerned about what people think of me. And I'm more controlled by the Jezebels in my life who control me, who are serving other gods. And what crazy was is at this time, there were 7,000 prophets of God, 7,000 prophets of God that were alive, but they were so afraid Because in that time, if you were a prophet of God or a pastor or a minister, or you were a confessor of Yahweh, Baal would go out and he would kill you. And so here, there's 7,000 prophets of God remaining, and they were so afraid that they hid from Ahab. They hid and they hid so well that Elijah didn't even know that they existed. Literally, Elijah thought he was the only prophet left. I'm the only one standing up for God. I'm the only one speaking God's truth. I'm the only one standing true to God's word. There's no one else. I'm the only one. Little did Elijah know know there were 7,000 others who were so afraid for their lives that they hid. And so here's Elijah stepping onto the scene, walking into this corrupt environment, walks into the prime minister's office, who is this regular man who is experiencing tremendous persecution to God's people with a king who says he's a Christian, when in reality is making decisions that don't reflect what God says. And here is this man making a massive, massive statement to this king. And so what I want to do, that's the context of where we're at in our series today. What I want to do is I just want to give you these three things to help you understand that for your life, there are three lessons we can learn through this scenario. And I want to apply it to your life today, no matter where you're at. You might not go into the prime minister or president's office to declare a flood or a a drought to the nation, but you might be able to stand up in your school You might be able to stand up at work. You might be able to stand up in your neighborhood. You might be able to stand up on your school board. You might be able to stand up in your office when they start to set in weird policies at your workplace and you could potentially put yourself in harm's way if you say, actually, I don't think that's a benefit to our organization if we do that and you're nervous and you're afraid and I get it, but God is raising up a generation of people who will say, you know what? I gotta serve Yahweh. I gotta serve God. And let God take care of the rest. Here's the first thing we have to understand about the life of Elijah, which will come up time and time again, is that God chooses ordinary people. All throughout Scripture, we see the accounts of men and women that did incredible things in the Bible. Moses and David and Daniel and Deborah and Ruth and Sarah and so many others and Aquila and Priscilla and all these amazing men and women of God did incredible things in the pages of scripture where they fought lions and they, 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 they went to war and, you know, they, they, the Samson brought down the, the pillar and, I mean, all these incredible stories we read about went in the fiery furnace and, oh my gosh, they did these incredible mighty things. But what we have to realize something is that I'm going to let you in on a big 
big secret this morning. These are just regular people just like you. Sarah was just a mom. Elijah was just a nobody. David was just a regular old ruddy teenager. These were just ordinary old people. When you read the passage of Scripture, you say, oh man, they must be super holy. They must be really close to God. I must be so disconnected from who they are. No, they are ordinary people just like you and just like me. And the character of Elijah is no different. Look what it says. Elijah was a Tishbite. He was from Tishbe in Gilead. Gilead and Tishbe was basically in the high peaks and the, in the, the deep mountainous regions of Gilead. In fact, Gilead, the word actually means raw or rugged. So Elijah was from an incredibly small town in the middle of a mountainous uh, city that was rugged and, and raw and desolate. And he was a, just an absolute nobody. He was the kind of guy who was completely disengaged from social norms. He wasn't on social media. He didn't know what would look good or look bad. He didn't know what was going on. Someone would make cultural reference and he would just chuckle awkwardly. <laughs> you know, like someone would make some sort of reference and you're like, oh yeah, I know about that. He has no idea, no clue. He is just, he's dressed kind of awkwardly. Honestly, he's just a country boy out in the middle of nowhere and he's just a regular guy and he's got nothing impressive to do, but he's just loves God. He's a nobody from a small town in a big, and when he steps onto the scene, his method and his ministry and his mannerisms were rough and they were rugged. And he, remember how John the Baptist wore camel's hairs and ate locusts. This is the same thing about Elijah. Elijah just had a way of life and mannerisms that were just like, man, he's not from around here. <laughs> like he's just different. Like he's just, he's just nothing special about him. I mean, just nothing really incredible about this guy. And he was a, kind of this middle-of-nowhere guy. He was nothing fancy about him. Thousands of years later, James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, brought him up in his letter to the church. And look what he said about him. He said, Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Just a little side note, we have nowhere recorded in Scripture Elijah actually praying this. So we know that Elijah, before we read about him in verse 1, he, which will be my next point, which I should probably save for my next point, <laughs> he was being prepared for this moment. He was, every secret life with God leads to a public ministry. And so if you say, Ryan, I want to have a public ministry, well, then you've got to have a secret life. And if you want to have a public ministry of making a difference, young people, if you want to make a difference in your school, you want to make a difference in your home or in your job, you say, God, use me to, to reach my, 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 my business. Well, then you better have a secret place because in the secret place is where he prayed this prayer. In the secret place with the Lord is where God spoke to him. In the secret place, God, he, Elijah was being prepared in the secret place. And look what it says. None, none fell for three and a half years. Elijah was a regular human being. He had emotions like we had. He had ups and downs like we did. He had passions. He was emotionally drained. He was discouraged. He was depressed. Did you know that Elijah was suicidal in chapter 19, which we'll get to? He had major mental illness. He tried to kill himself. He tried to commit suicide. He was lonely. He was anxious. He was fearful. He was discouraged. He had a fiery temper. He had bouts of depression. He suffered from deep isolation and loneliness. 
and yet God chose to do mighty miracles and wonders through his life. And God uses ordinary people just like you and me. And you want to know the only difference between somebody in our world who's great for God and somebody in our world who's not great for God? The simple decision to say yes to God fully with your life. What's the difference between people in Scripture that made a massive difference for the kingdom of God? It wasn't how they prayed. It wasn't how they preached. It wasn't how they looked. It wasn't how they talked. It wasn't what car they drove. It wasn't the education that they had. It was a simple decision to say, Jesus, I am surrendered completely to you. My answer is yes. I will put my job on the altar for you. I will put my friends on the altar for you. I will put my reputation on the altar for you. I will give up everything for you because I know that when I surrender my life to God, what God provides instead is far better than what I gave up. He chooses ordinary men, ordinary women. In fact, the name Elijah means my God is Jehovah. This tells us that his parents had a relationship with God and trained him in the ways of the Lord. And the first and most crucial step to you becoming anything for God is to start a personal and life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's a second thought today. God prepares ordinary people. As we study through the, the story of Elijah, we're going to see that God will take him through a season of preparation. He takes him into a season. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about it, Into a season of isolation, which causes intense, deep loneliness and teaches him to have complete dependency on God. He takes him into a season of hiding so he can learn about how God provides in a supernatural and extraordinary way. He takes Elijah into a great season of hardship and a season where he faced massive uh, physical attacks of the evil one and supernatural attacks, deep spiritual warfare. God allowed Elijah to go into seasons of preparation where his life was not perfect, where his life did not look like an Instagram uh, post, where his life did not look like you might see on all of these other uh, TV shows or movies. His life feels like it's what's wrong and why am I facing this sickness or why am I facing this challenge or why am I facing this loneliness or why am I facing this hardship or why am I enduring this season where it feels like God provides for me at the very last second? Why does it feel like I've been praying for healing in my body and God never does it? Why does it feel like I've been praying for friends and I just can't seem to make good friends? Why does it seem like no matter how long I try to engage people at church and I try to make friends outside of church. I just can't seem to make a connection. It's because God takes us through seasons of loneliness so we can learn to be alone with God. He lets us experience the deep realities of being lonely so we can learn that Jesus and his presence is actually all we need. He takes us through seasons of preparation God has to work in you before God can work through you. Are you with me this morning? Let's say it again. I want to hear you say, man, God has to work in you before God can work through you. Now, here's my fear today as I prepare this message. There are many, there are, there are several groups of people here today. Some people who are like, oh man, I want to be used by God. Others say, Ryan, I think I want to be used by God. Others say, Ryan, I am happy as a clam doing what I'm doing right now. And I want you to know, as followers of Jesus Christ, 
we are never promised a life with, we are never promised a life without disruption. We are never promised a life without suffering. We are never promised a life without sacrifice. We are never promised a life without difficulty. We are never promised a life without loneliness. We are never promised a life where our bodies might not face sickness. We are never promised a life of perfection. And any church you go to that says that that is the reality, or any person that preaches that gospel, it is a false gospel because you and I will experience seasons of preparation. Why? Because God wants to do extraordinary things through your life. He wants to use your season of brokenness to bring glory to the earth. But we're happy sometimes. Don't touch my job. Don't touch my money. Don't touch my car. Don't touch my relationships. Don't touch anything, God. I'm just happy. Everything's fine. I don't want to mess anything up. You mean if I say yes to God, he's going to mess things up? Well, no, he's not going to mess it up. He's going to make it better. Why? Because you're going to die to yourself. And when you die to yourself, guess what happens? Who becomes more alive when we decrease? He increases. I know you're like, oh, I hate this sermon. <laughs> Go back to point one. He uses ordinary people. See, we have to understand something. God has to take us through seasons. And we're going to watch in the life of Elijah. God is going to shape this man into a very deep season of preparation. And it's almost as if God's saying, listen, and I breathe, this is for some of you today. There is so much more that I need to do in you because there is so much more that I want to do through you. God's saying this to you today. I'm doing something in you right now. You're in a season of loneliness right now. You're in a season of difficulty right now. You're facing a, a season of exhaustion or tiredness or hardship. Whatever you're facing right now, don't try to wiggle your way out of it. Embrace it. Say yes to it. Why? Because God is doing something in you because one day God wants to do something extraordinary through you. You say, Ryan, why would God allow this to happen? I know I don't understand the realities of God sometimes, but I want you to hear me. God uses the tragedies of your life to bring glory to the earth. God uses the tragedies of your life to bring greatness to others. He uses the tragedy of your life to bring healing to other people's lives. He allows you to go through what you go through. Why? So you can truly trust and depend upon the Lord so that one day when someone comes your direction, he's facing the same thing that you're facing. You can look them in the eyes and say, my God is a provider and my God is a healer and my God is a restorer and my God is good and my God is faithful. Well, has your life been perfect? Well, heck no, my life has not been perfect. No way. It's been quite the opposite. But what I've learned through the whole thing is that my God remains faithful and his words remain true. Are you here this morning? Don't try to get out of your hardship. Paul said this, I prayed to the Lord three times to remove the thorn of my flesh. Three times Paul said, God, take away the thorn in my flesh. Some believe it was sickness. Some believe it was spiritual attack. I think it was actually he had a physical sickness in his body. That's my personal belief. God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And this is what God said to him. No. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, okay, so now I boast all the more about my weaknesses. Why? Because I know that through my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Don't try to wiggle out of your situation. Don't try to get out of it. Trust in the Lord. Depend on him. He will help you through it. He will help you in it. Look what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 18. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah, and he said, go down to the potter's shop, and I'll speak to you there. And so I did, as he told me, and found the potter working in his wheel. The jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, and so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. And read that again. He crushed it into a lump of clay 
He did it again, and he started over, and this is what God said to his people. Oh, Israel, can I not do this to you as the potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Listen, I want to, my, my big hope for this series is that by the end of it, you'll realize that your life was not meant to be lived on autopilot. The goal, the goal of your life is not just to get your nice house, your nice car, your white picket fence, your 2.5 children, and your cute little uh, doodle dog. <laughs> the goal of your life is not just to live and, and ride off into the sunset when you die at the age of 99 and your children continue to live this perfect life. You're, the goal of our life as followers of Jesus is to live extraordinary lives, see signs and wonders and miracles, see lost people saved, disciples being made, to build the house of God, to build your children, to know the Lord, to live lives of extraordinary, supernatural, miraculous abundance where you can walk around and say, look what God has done in my life. I had nothing, but now he gave me something. I was lost, but now I'm found. Your life was not meant to be autopiloted, come into church, come out of church. I'm just being a little bold this morning. I'm sorry. I only say it because I love you. Because life on the other side of autopilot is far greater. It's far better. God has a better plan for you. He has more for you than just living your average regular Canadian life. He has more for you. And he wants you to recognize that he doesn't, you don't have to be special. In fact, look at this and notice he calls him the Tishbite. The author says, now Elijah, the Tishbite, he labels him by where he's from. In this same chapter, the very last verse, something significant happens 23 verses later. Elijah goes through a long season of preparation. God does something which we'll talk about over the next few weeks. It'll go deeper into the scripture and understand what God was doing in Elijah's life. As we see, he's called the Tishbite in this moment. He's referred to by where he's from. But by the end of verse 17, he's referred to by whose he's from. Look what it says in the very last verse. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. He started this journey identifying, oh yeah, he's Ryan from Oregon or he's, he's James from Calgary. He's Stephanie from Vancouver. He started by saying, this is where you're from. And by the end of the preparatory season, he says, oh no, there's James. He's a man of God. Oh no, there's James. He's a, he's a minstrel, a worship leader, a, a worship culture creator in the house of God. Oh, there's Stephanie. She's a mighty woman of God, a powerful preacher, a powerful woman of God, an amazing mother. Not who, where I'm from and not what I do, but who I am in God. That is what the preparatory season of God is in your life. And God wants to take you through it. I want to say this clearly. I praise God for all of the pain that I've been through. Now, I, I know some of you have been through pain that I've not been through, and I do not know what it's like to be in your shoes. I admit that. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have been through terrible sickness. Some of you have lost loved ones, and some of you have faced tremendous hardship. And I do not even begin to pretend today to understand what you've been through. I can only speak from my own personal experience of almost losing my marriage, you know, eight, nine years ago, and, and going through bankruptcy and foreclosure after losing two of our homes because the, the market crashed, and through going through a season where I literally did not want to serve the Lord. I was, I was hated church. 
I hated you. I hated Christians. I hated God. I rejected him altogether. I wanted nothing to do with him because I had been hurt so badly by the church. I've been so badly by pastors. I've been so, bur- so badly by Christians, and I've been hurt in my life. I'd experienced all those. That's my story and my journey of addiction and brokenness and hardship, let alone the more difficulty my wife's been through being married to me. I have experienced my own reality of pain, but I wouldn't take one moment of it back. I thank God for all the pain I've been through. I thank God that that pastor cursed me out when he told me I couldn't plant a church. I thank God for the moment when I, 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 I laid on the couch after being Calgary, transitioning out of a job, and I laid on the couch, I looked at my wife and said, I think I'm having a mental breakdown. I don't know what else I'm gonna do with my life. What do I, if I'm not a pastor, what am I? I thank God for the moments where my wife and I went through a tumultuous season. I thank God for the moments when I, I thought at moments when my son was facing mental challenges and I was so worried or my daughter facing medical stuff and we didn't know what was going on in her body. I thank God for every difficult, hard season. Why? Because through it, I know Jesus better. Through it. I'm no longer identified by how good of a job I have or by how nice of a car I drive or how much money I have or the things that I'm good at. I am defined by one thing and one thing alone, whose I am. I am a man of God. I am a child of, the, I'm a child of God. I am called of God. I'm favored of the most high. I am the head and I am not the t- tail. I am blessed to be a blessing. I am called by God. As you let yourself go through the preparatory season that God has for you on the other side, there are extraordinary things that God will do with your life. If I had not gone through the pain that I went through, we would not be standing here today. Why? Because I hated (laughs) y'all. I hated God. I hated the church. I hated it all. And here I stand today, healed, restored, rejuvenated, renewed man of God. Why? Because I'm not defined by what or where. I'm defined by the who. His name is Jesus. Are you with me today? All right, here's our last one today with our last few moments. God does extraordinary things through ordinary, prepared people. Elijah was a no one from nowhere, and yet God had a huge purpose for his life. God was going to use him to stand up against a world leader. He was going to use him to bring provision to a widow and her son, bring a boy back from the dead, have a showdown with the prophets of Baal, set in the next generation of leaders that would carry the name of Yahweh. After he died, his bones would literally restore people back to life. We would later see him. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Later, we would see him arrive on the scene in the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah. A regular man shows up right with Jesus, clothed in splendor. And here he is, and the disciples saw, had this vision of Elijah and, and Elisha. We see in the scripture that Elijah was a man just like you and me, and on and on it goes. And Elijah did something incredible. Elijah walked into this place, into this spot in front of the prime minister, the president, the king. The king was considered to be in that day like God. And he walked in to the very face of the king, to King Ahab, and he looked Ahab right in the eyes, And he declared that as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain. He walked in and Elahab was supposed to be considered the God man, the man walking God on earth. And Elijah walked in and said, you're not God. My God's God. He's alive. You're a liar. And there's going to be no rain. Now to say no rain 
was something like this. In our day, we all know gas prices are high. How many of you know that? My goodness, Vancouver was two twenty-five a liter. And that was cheap there. Man, move to Calgary, praise God. <laughs> Things are bad. But when you declare that there's going to be no rain, that was basically an economic shutdown. That was 80, 90% uh, unemployment. That was, you don't just have high gas prices. You have no gas. You have no groceries because it was an agricultural system. And so when there was no rain, there was no produce. There was no food. There was no way to barter. There was no, there was no money. There was nothing. It was literally a shutdown. So basically Elijah walked in and said, okay, you think that you're God and you've been acting like you're God and you've been leading the people away from the true God. Well, guess what? Today, enough's enough. Game over. God's shutting off the spigot. You're not going to have any rain. The economy is going to go to nothing. People are going to have no food. People are going to have no water. Things are going to be challenging. Things are going to be difficult. This is not going to be easy. And here Elijah was declaring that his God is alive when every other God is dead. I want to declare this today. Do you know that there's literally no other God in our world today? We're led to believe that there's multiple gods. Did you know there's no other God? You know, Muhammad's not a God. Allah's not a God. Did you know there's literally no other God that exists other than ours? Do you know that? I don't care what people say. The Mormon God and the Jehovah's Witness God is not the God we're talking about. The Islam God, the Buddhist God, the New Age God, our God's alive. And in a season in a world, Elijah, where things were tumultuous and difficult, Elijah walked up into this man and said, he was declaring war on Baal because Baal was considered to be the God who would bring down rain. Every time it thundered or lightning, they would say, oh, they would worship Baal. Whenever rain would come, they would worship Baal, among many other things. But he was the one who provided the rain. And Elijah steps up and says, Baal's not God. Baal's not in charge of the rain. My God's in charge of the rain. He says, and it will be absolutely no rain. And there's nothing that you, and there's nothing that Jezebel can do about it. God used this man to do something extraordinary, even though he was an ordinary man. And it didn't rain for three years. Not a drop. No dew. No rain. Nothing. Imagine walking into your school this next fall and one of your friends has a broken leg and you walk up to him and say, hey, did you know that my God can heal you? And Jet lays his hands on that boy's leg and the leg gets healed. Or you're at work and you're sitting around the water cooler and everyone's talking about all these different things and declaring and they start talking about this weird supernatural stuff and you say, hey, did you know that my God is the actually only God that's alive? Let me show you. Can you imagine God doing extraordinary things? in our world today. It feels like our world today is facing something very, very similar. But God wants to do extraordinary things. And I want you to notice something. God did not send an army to take out Ahab. God sent one man. One prepared person. One prepared person who said, God, will you use me? God, will you use me to reach my school? God, will you reach, use me to reach my business? God, will you use me to reach my friends? God, will you use me to minister in church? God, will you use me? God, will you use me to do supernatural signs and wonders? Here I am, Lord, send me. Come on, hear me today. Adults in the room, 
You're not done yet. Just because you have kids and you work a career, you ain't done yet. Folks in the room who are all gray hairs in the room, you're not done yet. Roy, you're not done yet, brother. Come on, you're not done yet. Mom and dad watching today, 70 year old, you're not done yet. God wants to do extraordinary things through your life. God wants to do signs and wonders through your life. God wants to do amazing things through your life. God wants to do miracles through your life. God wants to bring miracles to your school, into your home, into your businesses. God wants to use you in ordinary, regular old dad. God wants to use you to bring God's kingdom to the earth today. He wants to use you to do signs and wonders. He can do this in your life. God may raise up a teenage girl to take a standard in class against others for sexual purity. God may use a young business leader to take a stand for integrity in a business that's lacking integrity. God may raise up one person into politics from our church to take a stand for which is true. God may raise up a parent to stand against the immorality of a school by going to your school board and saying, this is not right, this is not God, this is not for, our, for what God wants. That you and I still have a moral right to stand upon God's word. We still have a moral right to stand up for what God says for your children. If it doesn't represent God's word, stand up, parent. If it doesn't represent what God says, young person, your friends, listen, you might lose friends, but stand up for what God's word says. Guess what? Your friends might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because you said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, whether people like it or not, whether it makes me friends or not, whether it gets me a promotion or not. I'm going to put Jesus Christ first in my life. I'm not going to worry about my career or my business or my possessions. I'm going to put Jesus first. Why? Because I'm just an ordinary old person. God's called us to do extraordinary things through our lives. And as we walk through this series, that's what we're going to learn is that God has a plan for you. That's my prayer, that out of you will come this realization that no matter how old you are or where you're at, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God wants to do something extraordinary through you. It might not be walking into the prime minister's office, but it might be in your school and it might be in your business and it might be in your community and it might be in your neighborhood where God wants to do mighty things through your life. Amen? Amen? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet today? We're gonna end our time together by singing a, a song. I asked them to choose a uplifting, exciting song as we go out today. Come on, I want to pray for you, and, and then we're going to let you go and enjoy today. We have watermelon and lemonade and popcorn for everybody on the way out. Now let me pray as we sing this song together. Lord, thank you that you want to use extra, Lord, ordinary people in an extraordinary way. And God, we accept the challenge today. Say, Lord, if we've held too tightly to our lives today, Father, Lord, we just let those things go, and we say, okay, God, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want me to do, God? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to say? Lord, let our hearts be open to let you prepare us for the great purpose you have for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.